going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 146 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined, as I always am, by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we continue our journey through my 2021 Best Ball Tournament tiers, and we have an honored guest you know, I'm honored to be joined by one of the sharpest young minds in best ball. You've seen his work with NBC Sports Edge. You've seen his work with Establish the Run. You know, this is a man who knows everything about best ball win rates, and that's because his rate at winning at life is through the roof. Jack Miller, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how I can possibly follow up on that introduction, <laughs> but thank you guys for having me on. Uh, looking forward to talking running backs today. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great to have you on to talk about everybody's favorite position in fantasy football. This episode is part two in our four part series. Uh, each additional episode is going to be dedicated to a specific position. You can check out the first episode live now on this YouTube channel where we break down quarterbacks with Hillo FF of one week season. This episode is also available as an audio journey on whatever podcast platform you use. If you're new to the podcast, like what you hear, like what you see, you can support by subscribing to this YouTube channel or subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use. It's a free, simple, and easy way to support us. Gentlemen, before we get into the tiers themselves, I just want to give a, a quick preface on what the tiers are themselves. They're more so uh, a suggestion of how to prioritize more so than direct projections or direct median outcomes of what we expect these players to have. Because in best ball, we're really looking at things through the lens of a range of outcomes more so than the range of, of an exact projection. Um, and, and we can start right off at the top, tier one, which consists of only one player, Christian McCaffrey. And Jack, my question to you is, do you believe that CMC belongs in this tier by himself, the way that he's regarded as the clear-cut consensus RB1 in basically every draft? Yeah, I think so. And I think, I mean, this isn't really an actionable take because everyone's taking him 101 anyway, but I think people might still underestimate just how good McCaffrey is. He had 26.3 points per game in half PPR in 2019, 27.2 in three games last year. Uh, the next closest guy last season was Dalvin at 23.0. So McCaffrey is providing you a, a three or four point advantage every week. I think I think he deserves to be on top of the mountain all by himself. Yeah, uh, I agree with that take. And it also comes down to the opportunity to get him because, you know, you're only got, you know, a, a one in 12 chance to land that 101. So you kind of have to capitalize on it just in terms of exposure if you're drafting a mass amount of best ball teams. Right, exactly, yeah. After Christian McCaffrey, I, I believe that this tier is where things start to get interesting. We've got 10 players in this secondary tier, uh, guys that we believe have realistic paths to finishing inside the top three at the running back position. And, you know, that includes Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, and Aaron Jones. Do you guys believe that this is correct in terms of guys that have realistic paths to finishing inside the top three and producing real difference-making seasons at the position? Yeah, I think I think all these guys do have a, a realistic path to a top three finish. I think I would also add Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, and Austin Eckler to this group too. I think all three of them have three down potential. The, the one question with Eckler is, is he going to get goal line carries? Mixon is, how much is he going to catch the ball? Gio's gone now, so I think there's a lot more room for him to improve in that area with uh, with Samaje Piran as his backup rather than Bernard. And then Harris is obviously unproven. And then the Steelers' offensive line and, and Najee's efficiency is, is going to be a concern. But 
I think all of them have the workload to justify being in this tier as well. And I think with this tier, I might split it up a little more because I mean, AD, this is kind of how ADP has it too, is after those first five guys, including McCaffrey. So after the after McCaffrey, Henry, Saquon, Dalvin, and Kamara, that's when you kind of get into the range where you could pick Kelsey or Tyreek or or maybe pivot from running back. So I think it's fair to say that all of these guys have top three upside, but I might split it up even further. But but if the only criteria is, is top three upside, I think this is a very fair group. Are you concerned about guys like, I mean, we've seen Derek Henry do it. Obviously that took some touchdown variants, but are you concerned about players like him, players like Nick Chubb, players like Aaron Jones, Jonathan Taylor, who are in guaranteed workload splits or, or are the situations surrounding them good enough for you to justify taking them at the ADP range they're going, you know, usually back into the first, mid first? Yeah. So Henry, basically for the reasons you said, I, I haven't been on him as much in the past just because the efficiency seems so unsustainable. He doesn't catch passes, stuff like that. But he has proven, I think, to be an outlier in that regard. And so I'm fine with Henry at his ADP. Chubb is someone I'm not on as much, although I'll still take him at ADP because in the in the first couple of rounds, I try not to have too hard of stances because if, if you're wrong, I mean, we're going to be wrong a lot. And if you're wrong in the first two rounds, it's going to just totally burn you. So I'm, I'm not going to have too much Chubb, but I'm, I'm not going to completely fade him. Uh, Jones, I think it just comes down to Rodgers. And so he's a risk right now. If, if Rodgers is on the field, I think Jones could catch a ton of passes because Dylan is not the same level of pass catcher as Jamal Williams. So I think uh, Jones might cede some carries to Dylan that he, he would not have to Williams, but he'll make up for it with his, his pass catching. But it just comes down to Rodgers, and we don't really know how that situation is going to turn out right now. Right. The uncertainty around that is really why Jones is sort of capping the end of this tier as opposed to being higher up on the list. And, you know, we'll get to the wide receiver episode shortly. And in that scenario, you know, I've got Devontae Adams at the bottom of his tier as well, just because I think the risk is sort of outweighing the upside when the upside is comparable to some of the other players. Joey, what are your thoughts on on this second tier of running backs? I mean, I agree with the running backs that you have in this tier. I do think they have top three upside. I just kind of disagree with where you have them specifically ranked. But I know when you're doing tiers, that doesn't matter as much. I I really do like all of these players. I think they have upside for 2021. And I would consider these guys pretty much the workhorses that are left in the NFL besides maybe like Aaron Jones. Yeah, I think these are the workhorse running backs that you want to target in the first round of your fantasy drafts. So. I know in the past you've had issues with how bullish I am on Cam Akers. Are, are you still on that page as well? Uh, so ju- just a sneak peek or uh, uh, taking a look back, Ben had Cam Akers as his RB4 and in the RB1 overall upside category of his tiers until he recently changed that. And I had a problem with that because I don't think Cam Akers has overall running back one potential because I personally believe Daryl Henderson will have a pretty sizable role in the offense. I know some people don't think that that's just something that I personally believe, but as your RB seven, that's pretty uh consensus with ADP right now. He's going as the RB eight on underdog, I think pretty consensus. And I don't really uh, mind you having him as your RB seven. Do you not think that Akers has RB one overall upside? I, I don't. 
I don't. I mean, mm-hmm. out of the last four seasons, you know, the, the Rams offense has produced two RB1 overalls in, in terms of fantasy points per game. And this is arguably the best offense that McVay's ever coached. Akers, I don't see why he couldn't. You know, Matthew Stafford has been somebody who dumping off to running backs and giving them sizable workloads in the passing game has been part of his game. You know, dating back to 2015, Theo Riddick had no less than 53 catches and a high of 80 between 2015 and 2018. Even on Johnson in his rookie year uh, put Post Theo Riddick had 39 targets in only seven games. Swift last year was averaging over four per game. I think that Cam Akers has that capability. He had 30 receptions in only 11 games in his final season at Florida State. So to me, I think the the upside of Cam Akers to catch 40, 50, 60 balls is there. And we know that the way the Rams operate when they get especially down into scoring position is heavily utilizing uh, rush attempts at the goal line. Jack, what are your thoughts on Cam Akers this season? He's a polarizing option uh, in the fantasy community right now. I've come around on Akers uh, throughout the offseason. I was kind of worried about Hen- I'm still, a, I still think Henderson's going to have some role early on, but uh, McVeigh and, and the Rams coaches have been talking up Akers' involvement in the past game, which I think was the big thing for me because he had. I think 14 targets last year. So so they treated him as a workhorse down the stretch. The only question was just how much is he going to be used in the past game? And given how much they've been hyping him up over the last few weeks, as well as the fact that he, he showed that ability in college and Henderson doesn't exactly profile as, you know, a third down back. He kind of profiles as more of just someone who can do it all and someone who could just end up being the backup to Akers. So I think, I think Akers probably should see a, a spike in pass game involvement this year. And so I'm fine with Akers at ADP. I, I think he's going like late first right now in underdog. I'm not specifically like reaching for him there, but I think he's a fine pick. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so some of the other guys that are going in that range, we'll move to tier three here. And, you know, this is a tier guys that I believe, you know, still have realistic top 12 upside. Jack made, you know, the case that several of these four players deserve to be in the tier above and Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, Austin Eckler, the guy that you left out, of that uh, suggestion was Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And he's a polarizing player. You know, he went from being a, a early third round pick last year to going inside the top six, burned a lot of people in that spot. But you know, the, re- the reason that people were still on him remains, he does have a lot of workload opportunity and arguably the best offense in the NFL. Right. I think my one concern with Clyde is that he, his workload diminished throughout the year and they still have Darrell Williams. And then they brought in McKinnon. So there are some signs that maybe he might not be the the three down back that we want him to be in Kansas City, but he's also going later than Mix and Eckler and Najee. So you can get Clyde, you know, six to eight picks after some of these guys. And so again, like you you most of the time I'm taking a wide receiver over Clyde. Like mm-hmm. you can get Metcalf or Justin Jefferson or maybe even Ridley sometimes there. Um and so I prefer all three of the other guys in this tier. That's Mixon, Najee, Harris, and uh, and Austin Eckler over Clyde. But in drafts, I'm fine with Clyde because you can just get him half a round later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Joey, Joe Mixon, this is a player that you've been vocally opposed to. Do you want to give, give the people a quick summation if they haven't heard your take? Yeah, I mean, if people are listening if they've been listeners of the podcast they would know that i'm just never drafting joe mixon i mean i drafted him last year for like the first time ever just burned me completely good thing i traded him before he ended up not playing another game for the entire season and it's just it feels like we've just been waiting for a joe mixon breakout forever now and is this going to be the year maybe the opportunity is there i do agree with that like jack mentioned geo bernard left and his backup is samaj p ryan so the 
opportunity should be there. The offensive environment is great. A lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. Offensive line is a con- is a concern, but I, I don't know. It's just so hard for me to draft and trust Joe Mixon again. I just stay away. <laughs> like it's just a personal bias, maybe kind of hatred towards Joe Mixon. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't do it. I can't. I'm sorry. I just can't. Gotta let that hate go. <laughs> let it go from your heart and, and embrace the Joe Mixon train. It's gonna for, be a money making train. For me, this this is the first year I've ever been in on Joe Mixon, and I know a lot of people feel like you, Joey, where they have yeah. just drafted Mixon for years on end, waiting for him to actually do something, and he never had. Or I mean, he's done well. He just kind of has never lived up to the the expectations people had for him. But I think it, it could be different this year because the offense is ascending with Burrow coming back, and then Gio is gone. Gio has never had fewer than 43 targets in a season. Samaj P. Ryan has 40 targets in his career. So I really think that pass catching role is going to open up for Mixon to take over. And then and then the Bengals OC said pre-draft that they don't want to take him off the field. I know Zach Taylor said a few days ago that they don't want him on the field for 75 plays a game. But I think that that piece of news was not really relevant because no running back is playing 75 plays a game. I think as long as he takes over that Gio Bernard pass catching role, I think Mixon could smash this year. Yeah, that, that but, does make a lot of sense. But I'm, I might be wrong, and maybe this is my, my Joe Mixon experience. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, the, the arguments are definitely in favor of Joe Mixon. Like, I acknowledge that. It's just, like I said, a personal thing. Mm-hmm. I've been burned by him. A lot of people have been burned by him. So I'm just completely off the train. I, I do think he's a fine draft pick at his ADP. He's going as the RB12. So back end RB1, think it's fine just due to the opportunity. But I, I don't know. I, maybe Maybe I just have to change my stance on him. <laughs> Maybe you do. Somebody that I've been really hesitant to change my stance on is the first player as we move into tier four, and, and that's Antonio Gibson. This is a tier that you know I've labeled as confident running back twos, guys who have enough workload and enough upside to you know be in that top twenty four range. It's just there's also question marks. Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, Miles Gaskin, J.K. Dobbins, Miles Sanders, Travis Etienne, Chris Carson, Cream Hunt, and Mike. Davis. Am I on an island with this take of Antonio Gibson? Because if you look at ADP and you look at the way that people regard him, I think that the general consensus is that he should be in the tier above. I think I'd put him in the tier above, um, near the back of the tier above. It's interesting because at this time last year, Gibson was a converted wide receiver Memphis and a very productive, very efficient college wide receiver Memphis. So we know he has the receiving skills, or at least his college profile would indicate that he does. And the question was, can he play running back? And then last year, it was the complete opposite of what we expected. Mm -hmm. He had 160 plus carries and JD McKissick was the pass catching guy. And so I think that he kind of silenced the question, the doubts that we had about him because the, the concerns were, can he run between the tackles last year? He showed he could do that. He showed he could get goal line carries. So he has the rushing workload. It's just a question of whether he eats into McKissick's receiving role. And the Washington coaches have been saying all the right things about how they're going to try to involve him more in the passing game this year. Plus, we know he, we think he has the talent given what he showed in college. So I would put Gibson at the back end of the second tier. But I, I get how 
maybe requires more projection than than you're comfortable with for a, a second tier running back or a third tier running back. It does. It just to me feels like there's a lot of wish casting going on. Like like you said, they silenced the crit you know the criticisms about can he run you know run the ball well. But I think it's just shifted the criticisms to will he get the opportunity to catch more passes because McKissick you know was averaging more than double the targets per game six point six to Antonio Gibson's three point zero seven, and they still have the same coaching staff, same OC and Scott Turner and McKissick. His usage catching passes out of the backfield was a concerted effort from the team. You know, he had 80 receptions on 111 targets, second most targets per game in the league, second most receptions in the league at the running back position. And I I just don't know if that's going to change beyond any reason of people just simply wanting it to change. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think McKissick will have a role Antonio Gibson had 44 targets last year. I do expect that to increase. And he still finished as the RB 13 in full PPR last season. Um, I think the rushing workload is there for him, like Jack mentioned. And I do, I do believe that he will see more targets, but McKissick will be there. And McKissick, he was a wide receiver in college and he converted to a running back. So he has, you know, wide receiver experience as well. They have two great pass catchers at the running back position, and I think they're going to use both of them. Jack, how are you handling this group in drafts, maybe outside of just the running back aspect of it? Because a lot of the times we know that it's more optimal to pick wide receivers in this range in rounds three through five, especially in terms of win rates. That's been a more successful strategy over the past few years. So in general, are these guys that you're targeting or are you almost always going to be going with the wide receivers in these spots? Right. For the most part, I'm going wide receiver in the spots just because the win rates are pretty clear. There's been for six consecutive years, running backs with an ADP in rounds three through six have had a below average win rate and wide receivers have had an above average win rate. So it, in my opinion, it doesn't get a whole lot easier than that. And I tend to lean toward wide receiver in this position. Uh, I think Swift might get interesting if his ADP continues to drop because he also profiles as someone who should catch a lot of passes. He he did well as a receiver last year, and then the Lions have no wide receivers. So it's going to be Hawkinson and, and Swift for the most part catching passes. So Swift could get triple-digit targets this year. The Lions are going to be in negative game script a lot. And his ADP is falling now because of what Anthony Lynn has said about Jamal Williams. So I think if Swift dips into around four or so, that's where he might start to get interesting for me. But even then, the wide receivers are so good in this range that I might just hammer wide receivers. Mm-hmm. Are, are you in on the uh, the J.K. Dobbins hype? Because, I mean, we've talked about it recently. He's one of the our top five yeah. fades at, at ADP. Clear I cut. mean, just can't get on board with J.K. Dobbins. He's going to be losing work to Lamar Jackson. He's going to be losing work to Gus Edwards. And, and, you know, he was frequently not used in, in scoring position last year over Gus Edwards. It seems like a clear-cut fluke that he finished with more rushing touchdowns than Edwards did. His current ADP is just untouchable my opinion definitely with you there i think mark ingram was inactive for the first time last year in week eight and then in weeks nine through 17 dobbins averaged 12.1 carries per game edwards was at 9.8 i want to say and then lamar was also at 12.1 so it's it's going to be a three-way split and then ravens rbs during that same period averaged 2.2 total targets per game so it's just tough to profile to to project him for too much of the rushing rushing market share and he's probably not going to catch that many passes so tough yeah. 
tough for me to drop him there. Yeah, I mean, there's been the reports that the Ravens want to involve their running backs in the passing game, but we kind of talked about it on our last official podcast where it's a statistical trend with Greg Roman offenses that the running backs are not going to get targets. I don't see that changing. So J.K. Dobbins is a clear-cut fade, and I'll say for me personally, most of these guys in this tier I haven't been drafting much of. Um, I don't have many shares of Gibson or Swift. Got a couple of Miles Gaskin shares, but that's when he was going in the seventh, eighth round when he was just a clear cut value. Other than that, I'm not really interested in many of these guys. I mean, I, Chris Carson is interesting. Rashad Penny uh, apparently underwent surgery to like clean up his knee. So I think his workload is solid in Seattle. We know they want to use him. He has touchdown upside, I think, as well as the only running back there. Other than that, I, I think I'm just kind of staying away from these guys, to be honest. Um, like Jack mentioned, the wide receivers are just so much better in these rounds. I think their ceilings are just way higher than these running backs. And I'd rather, I'm mu- I'd much rather go um, there than these running backs. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. If we move on to tier five, these are guys that I think, you know, they have at least the projection of solid workloads, but they're guaranteed to split significant snaps on a weekly basis. And again, it just comes down to what Jack mentioned earlier. The wide receivers in this range are just too good to pass up compared to these massive question marks. I'll, I'll be honest, you know, tier five only consists of a couple guys, David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs, James Robinson, and Chase Edmonds. And I'm flat out just out on these guys. Jack, how do you feel about this tier? I'm the same way. I'm taking wide receivers over these guys uh, pretty much every time. Yep. yep. I'm I'm right there with both of you. I mean, David Montgomery is also one of our top five fades. I mean, just I, I think clear cut David Montgomery is gonna bust in twenty twenty one. Um not taking much Josh Jacobs, James Robinson. We we were drafting him a lot pre draft. <laughs> that that kind of burned us. I'm high on Chase Edmonds, and that's been kind of like a point um, on this podcast between Ben and I is whether or not Chase Edmonds is a good pick. And I will say his ADP has uh, rose significantly over the last month or two, and his price is kind of high. He's going in, what, the sixth round on underdog, like fifth, sixth round. I will say that is kind of high. I, I still like Chase Edmonds as a player. I think he has the receiving role that we want um, in our running backs, but I, I know that Ben is not as high on Chase Edmonds as I am. Yeah, I, I just, you know, whenever you have the chance to draft a running back who's going to finish third in, in red zone attempts on his own team, got got to take it in the sixth round. Sixth round? Lock it yeah, up. It is kind of high. It is kind of high. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. Tier six. Jack, is this the tier that you would consider sort of the running back dead zone? You know, this is a narrative I've seen you speak about on on Twitter. And these are guys that, you know, they have potential to really break into being, you know, dominant players on their own team. Like, you know, Javante Williams could be the lead, Trey Sermon, Damian Harris, James Conner, Zach Moss, Tony Pollard, maybe not so much the chance to be the RB1, maybe an outside chance, but, uh, you know, Fournette, Drake, Melvin Gordon. These are guys that, you know, they're, they're sort of all over the place in ADP, but they're, they're players that I think have significant upside, especially in formats like underdog and DraftKings, where, you know, all you really need is for them to catch fire in the right weeks, weeks 15 through 17. Yeah. So I'd consider actually the previous couple of tiers, the RB dead zone, because mm-hmm. usually uh-huh. that's rounds three through six. And then, so this tier would be where you're kind of breaking out of the RB dead zone. And these guys, for me at least, would be some guys that I'm looking to target because if you're loading up on wide receivers in rounds three through six, you probably are playing catch up at running back. And so mm-hmm. a lot of these guys I think are interesting. I think Sermon um, has, has a lot of upside this year. Connor too, like you mentioned. Connor, uh, Kenny Drake out touch Chase Edmonds within the five-yard line, 22-1 to one last year. 
Uh, so Edmonds had one goal line carry the entire season. I think Connor might be the guy who's taking over that Drake role this year. And so he is is one of my favorite targets right now. Ken and Drake, too. Uh, the Raiders signed him to a two-year, $14.5 million contract. I know it's the Raiders, and they kind of just do whatever they want. But, <laughs> I mean, for, for that kind of money, you got to think they're going to use him. And Jacobs has never been much of a pass catcher. Er, early reports from Raiders, be, Raiders beat writers indicate that Drake is going to be that guy that uses a pass catcher. And then, so he'll start the year with a, a receiving role, and then if something happens to Jacobs, he could just absolutely smash, so... A lot of these guys are targets for me. How do you feel about the two Broncos running backs? They seem to be going higher than maybe they should in terms of how we regard this team and the scoring opportunity that they're going to have with the Drew Locke slash Teddy Bridgewater-led offense. But, you know, theoretically, Melvin Gordon is potentially a cut candidate. You know, Javante Williams could really dominate if, if he finds himself, if, you know, in the right situation if things break right. Right. The recent Javante Williams hypes has me thinking I might not have enough because – I know a lot of smart people that really like him. And then there is smoke about Melvin being a cut candidate. But he goes, Javante does it like the five, six turn. And at that point, I'm taking wide receivers more often than not. But Javante Williams, I think, is is a pretty interesting pick, especially if we start to hear more about Melvin Gordon being on the roster bubble. So with me in this tier, you know, I've got Tony Pollard all the way up at 28. You know, he's sort of at the top of this tier for me. And his ADP is far below these guys. You know, he's really going in the 10th round, 11th if you're lucky, maybe back end of the ninth. But, you know, he's a guy that I think has really untapped upside. He's kind of like some of the guys we'll get to in a while in terms of being an injury away from being a league winner. But I also think that he has potential to see, you know, 25 to 35% of snaps in one of the best offenses in the league. And we know the talents there. We saw it when he had the opportunity last year and, you know, everyone's all on board with the Zeke rebound, but I think it's possible that Tony Pollard could really shine this year if given the opportunity. I think Pollard's an interesting case because he's going around guys like Connor and Drake who who should have much more of a role early on. But then the upside for Pollard is is like RB1 overall if something happens to Zeke. Um, so in that regard, I understand why a lot of people like love Tony Pollard. And I'm I'm gonna be overweight on Tony Pollard, but I I just worry that maybe we're overestimating how much he'll actually be involved if Zeke is healthy, especially compared to guys like Drake and Connor who are locked in in their respective roles as either pass catcher, you know, between the tackles, two down back. So that's where I'm at with Pollard, but I, I will be overexposed to Tony Pollard. So Joey, Damian Harris, you know, you're New England Patriots. I see that little helmet in the background. What do you think about uh, Harris? Uh, you know, reports recently are that he's the clear cut running back one in, in you know, Patriots minicamp. Yeah, I would, I would tend to agree. I mean, he was the clear cut best Patriots running back last year. And I do think he is the starter this season um, for fantasy He's more of a floor guy um, just because he's not going to be catching passes. And then if Cam Newton starts all 17 games, you have a quarterback that will 100% vulture rushing touchdowns in the red zone at the goal line. So he's just kind of like high floor, low ceiling option for me, kind of unexciting. I don't really have much shares this year. I was high on him last year, kind of 
didn't really work out, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think he should be in this tier personally. Tier lower? Well, your tier lower is an injury away. I don't think he's an injury, an injury away because he's a starter. I don't know. It's hard to, hard to put him in a, t- in a tier because like I said, he's just kind of like a floor guy that I'm staying away from. I, I don't, I don't think he has league winning upside mm. to be honest. Got you. Got you. Well, let, let's get into that tier and we can sort of talk about tier seven and eight in conjunction, uh, especially with Jack here because, you know, your recent article on ETR reflecting on the archetype of running backs and the guys that we want to target, the guys that, you know, give you superior win rates almost has me considering just completely switching these tiers because from the information that you had in that article, it seems like guys in my eighth tier, you know, guys like Tariq Cohen, Naheem Hines, J.D. McKissick, these pass catching running backs are actually safer, higher win rate picks compared to the guys that are really, you know, in injury away, like Alexander Madison, Daryl Henderson, Latavius Murray, Rashad Penny, etc. Yeah, so the one thing with that article is it was for full PPR um, and then underdogs obviously half PPR. So there's a bit of a difference there in terms of how pass catchers are valued. Um, but at the same time, Hines and Cohen and McKissick are going higher on full PPR. So maybe it, it balances uh, itself out in that way. But I think the main thing for me is, is I, di- I did this other article for ETR about how we define upside and and what it means and if we quantify it right. And it basically found that we want to look for guys that actually have a role. And and so Edwards is in this tier, Hines, Cohen, McKissick, all of those guys will have a role from week one. And then in tier seven, uh, some of these guys like AJ Dillon, Latavius Murray, uh, probably Henderson too, they are an injury away from being a league winner but they also have a week one role. And those are the types of guys, in my opinion, that are super interesting where, you know, Latavius Murray and AJ Dillon might score a touchdown um, every few weeks. And then in those weeks, they will be starters. And so they're contributing to your team, even if they don't hit their 90th percentile outcome. But if an injury happens, then they absolutely crush and they're winning you leagues. So I think the guys like uh, from these two tiers, that'd be Henderson, Murray, Dillon, Edwards, Um, as guys who have a role and then could smash if there's an injury. I think those guys are my preferred running backs from these two tiers. And then Hines, Cohen, and McKissick, since they'll have a role week one, even if they lack that RB, you know, top five, top 10 ceiling in the event of an injury, just because they'll have a week one role as the pass catcher and they should maintain that role the entire season. That would be how I'd separate it kind of. Right. Well, I mean, some of these guys, if you were like, for example, drafting off of these tiers, you would be landing Cohen all the time because he's going, you know, 40 picks later than some of these guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to draft him off of these tiers. It's just that I think that those roles are very valuable, especially considered to some of the players that we'll get to momentarily that are going ahead of him that just wildly overdrafted, in my opinion. But, you know, Jack, does it come down to roster construction for you? Because when I'm drafting these teams, I feel like I'm a lot less likely to go after these quote unquote floor players like McKissick or Cohen. Um, you know, opposed to Alexander Madison, if say they're my running back five, you know, if I go robust running back earlier, it's like, how often are these guys really going to outproduce a strong running back team? Whereas if I, you know, I'm hammering wide receivers in those mid rounds, then yeah, I'm probably going to come here because I need that safety at running back on a week to week basis. Definitely. I think, I think that's definitely a good way of thinking about it. And I tend to go maybe lighter on running backs than most people. Um, And so I do end up with those pass catchers a lot because I need the production, but I think that's definitely something you have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. 
Joey, any thoughts on these two tiers and how you would value them in comparison to one another? Yeah, I just I just personally value tier eight more than tier seven. It's just kind of like how I go about drafting best ball teams. And I know Ben and myself, we draft a lot on drafters, which is a full PPR best ball site. So that's kind of why I gear more towards drafting Hines, drafting Tariq Cohen, and even Kenyon Drake in the previous tiers, because I know that they're going to have the roles on their teams as the pass catchers, um, even if they're not going to have, you know, 70% of the touches, the roles are still valuable on full PPR sites. And I will say Tariq Cohen is my most owned player across every best ball site because I was drafting him in the 18th round every single time. And my most owned player by far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's solid. People are forgetting he's a couple seasons removed from just being a dominant pass catcher. And you know, that that's not going to be David Montgomery again, a couple seasons removed from being an RB one in fantasy. Mm. And, and the last note that I would personally have on this tier is that especially in tier seven, when you're looking at guys like Madison, Henderson, Murray, Penny, et cetera, I'm very consciously trying to spread my exposure to these guys out evenly because, you know, if you're going too hard on one, you're essentially kind of trying to project an injury or predict an injury of one player over the other. And I think that that's definitely a losing strategy, but I think the value is, you know, in getting a a decent amount of exposure to each of these guys so that if that injury occurs, we know injuries are very likely at the running back position, you know, you're at least set up to, benefit from that in some way yeah i agree all right moving on to tier nine and you know these are guys that if you're looking at my ranks versus adp i'm well below market on these players and i just don't see the appeal i really don't see the appeal to almost any of these guys michael carter raheem mostert ronald jones david johnson jamal williams devin singletary if they were going you know a couple rounds later, I could see it, but it just seems like you're paying way too much in opportunity cost over, over a lot of the wide receivers, the tight ends, the quarterbacks that you're going to be looking at in these, you know, rounds, say eight through 11, when you have to take these guys. Yeah. So, so I think we've mostly agreed so far, but I def, I disagree on a few of these. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me know. I'll, I'll start with the first guy on the list. I think Michael Carter is, is, are you just not on him because is it the Jets or is it draft capital? I mean, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column yeah. B. And it's just, I don't see necessarily that he's just going to step in and, and be this dominant, you know, workload guy. I think they'll give uh, Coleman some touches. I think they'll give Ty Johnson some touches. And there's obviously a lot of mouths to feed in terms of targets. I just don't know what his realistic upside is in terms of somebody that we have to take in the eighth round. Right. So he, to me, should start. The, the early reports are that he's going to start as a pass catching back. And that kind of fits with his size. He's a, he's a smaller back. And then it fits with what he did in college in conjunction with Javante Williams. And it's very positive to me that as a fourth round pick, he's already getting reps with the starters. So I think even though he's, you know, a day three pick, and for me, that's the main argument against him is day three backs rarely turn out. But since he's already getting reps with the ones in mid-June, I think that projects nicely for him to open the season with a pass catching role and then for that to potentially grow throughout the season because it's kind of like Drake in the sense that he should start the year as a pass catcher and then could potentially ascend. But Drake needs an injury, whereas Carter might just be able to mm-hmm. become the RB1 by being better than Tevin Coleman and Ty Johnson because the Jets depth chart at running back is really thin. So Carter might just take over that role. And then Raheem Mostert is the next guy. I think he's interesting, too, because the 49ers rushing efficiency could rival the Ravens. And Mike Leone, who's 
over DTR, I think, made a really good point to me yesterday. He said, for the Ravens, we've got Dobbins going in the third round, Edwards going in the ninth round, and and the 49ers could have similar efficiency, and yet Sermon and Mostert are both going in the seventh round. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of an arbitrage situation there. It's And it's it's almost the opposite of what I just said for Carter, because if we expect Sermon to take over more of the rushing pie throughout the season, um, Mostert would be the guy who opens the year as the starter and then maybe cedes some of the work to Sermon throughout the season. And so in tournaments, that's something to think about, because maybe over the second half of the season, it's more Sermon and less Mostert. And for those all-important weeks, 15 through 17, you might not be getting as much production. But for normal leagues, I think especially Mostert intrigues me because the only reason Sermon is getting starting reps right now at 49ers minicamp and OTAs is that Mostert's out. I think he should be the the clear 1A for week one. Um, And then beyond that, I think Jamal Williams also kind of just the same thing. He should have a role week one. And then if something happens to Swift, he'll do more. And Singletary... Um, I'm not really sure why Singletary is going four rounds behind Zach Moss. I get that the Bills backfield isn't especially lucrative because they don't use their running backs that much, but I kind of feel like those guys should be going a lot closer. And so it's not that I'm like a Singletary guy or anything. It's just kind of I, like, I don't know. If Moss is going at the 8-9 turn, Singletary four rounds later seems pretty good. I agree with that take. Uh to an extent, but to me, it's just like you, like you said, I mean, if we're valuing the later weeks more, I'm going to be targeting guys like Sermon, Jamal Williams. I don't know. I, what, what is his realistic upside? You know, it's these, like, I see your points and like, these are guys that I, I have interest in Singletary outside of this, in this tier is the guy that I have the most of because he's going so much later than the rest of them. But it really just comes down to the way that I'm usually constructing rosters. You know, I don't want to take David Johnson or, or Ronald Jones in the eighth or ninth round. Give me, give me the quarterbacks, you know, give me some upside quarterbacks, give me some tight ends to solidify the build. Um, the, it, it really comes down to roster construction and the ADPs more so than the players themselves. But the Michael Carter point is definitely uh, one to consider. Maybe he needs to be moved up a couple of tiers. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with Jack about uh, Michael Carter and then Ronald Jones. I think having him in tier nine is pretty disrespectful i would put him in tier six like if you're gonna put leonard fournette in tier six i think you have to have ronald jones in tier six um maybe i could see why you have him above ronald jones just due to his past game role with the bucks but i think ronald jones is the starter um in 2021 day one and we saw last year, he does have upside. He does have spike weeks in his range of outcomes. He finished as the RB20 in full PPR. So I, I just don't understand the Ronald Jones tier nine, you know, potential contributors. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be a factor in that Bucks backfield. Mm-hmm. Jack, are you a Rojo guy? I'm not a Rojo guy, but I do think this is probably too low for him. Yeah. All right. You know, if enough smart people have the same opinion, I could be completely wrong about that. So I'll definitely uh, take that into consideration, guys. Moving on to tier 10, we got two more tiers to close this thing out. And, and this to me is sort of the group of guys that I think is the last 
really viable tier of players that you want to be drafting, especially on a site like Underdog, where there's only 18th rounds. Maybe this list expands a bit on DraftKings or drafters where we're talking 20 rounds or FFPC, et cetera, whatever, whatever you're talking about. But these are guys that strictly to me are RB5s. They're very speculative, very low floors, but you know, if things break right, you know, you could get a couple of spike weeks out of them. You know, Darrington Evans, Philip Lindsay, Marlon Mack, the forgotten man, got you know, Salvin Ahmed, JV and Hawkins, Wayne Gallman, Mike Boone, and then a couple of Patriots running backs as well, and Ramon J. Stevenson and James White. What are your guys' thoughts on this tier, sort of strictly RB5 types? I like James White a lot. I think it kind of comes down to Mac Jones, like Joey was talking about with Damian Harris. Um, Mac Jones is kind of the key to, to the key to success for Patriots weapons because if he hurts the cam hurts the running backs because he's going to take a lot of the the rushing workload and then they're not going to throw that much. So if Mac Jones starts though, James White had the third highest target share among running backs last year. I think it was around 15%. Um, he's just a couple years removed from a pair of top 24 finishes in full PPR in running backs. So if Mac Jones is the starter early in the season or if he gets any significant playing time, I think White is a nice um, nice option, kind of what we talked about earlier with that pass catching role being undervalued. Generally, I think White is kind of one of the cheaper guys you can get in that archetype. Uh, Philip Lindsay too. Uh, it's kind of gross to take a Texans running back, but if you don't like David Johnson and you think he's dust, which he he easily could be, then Philip Lindsay makes sense. Even if the Texans' offense is going to be just terrible. Um, beyond that, Evans, you know, if Henry gets hurt, he he could do some real nice things. But they brought in Brian Hill, and we're not really that good at predicting in preseason who's going to be the benefit, the beneficiary of an injury. I did, I did some work mm-hmm. for NBC about that and how, you know, Evans could easily break out. He was a third round pick last year. Um, but maybe we're, we're wrong and we're just overconfident in Evans actually being the RB two. Uh, so beyond white and maybe Lindsay, I don't even want to take like a bullish stance on Lindsay just because it's so gross with the Texans offense, but I like James white a lot. Uh, beyond that, a lot of these guys, I think, uh, aren't as interesting to me personally. Let me just quickly make the case for Marlon Mack. Uh, you know, this is a man who's only one year removed from being the RB23 in fantasy points per game, two years from uh, removed from being RB14. Obviously, there's the Jonathan Taylor edition, which really throws a wrench in that. But I think that he has sort of that high-end running back to appeal if, you know, JT was ever to go down. You know, it's not going to be Hines in there getting the bulk of those touches. And, you know, he's essentially a guy who you could throw in the injury awaits here except he's going six rounds later than than madison henderson etc i mean sometimes he's not even drafted so i think there's a lot of appeal there as a 19th 20th round pick uh, you know good defense amazing o-line could be positive game scripts and you know he's done it before so to me marlon mack just completely forgotten i know everyone loves jt i, I mean we love jt but I don't know. Marlon Mack, I think, is just completely under the radar right now. You know, I was a Marlon Mack fan, but Jonathan Taylor there, I think he takes a step into the being the workhorse running back. Um, mm-hmm. And like you mentioned, he's probably an injury away, Marlon Mack, that is, um, from actually having fantasy relevance. That's pretty much all of these guys. They're not going to be relevant at all in fantasy football for 2021, I think. And, you know, if I'm drafting in the 18th, 19th, 20th round, I'm taking shots on wide receivers over running backs, um, just higher ceilings. 
uh, higher boom week potential um, than these guys. But James White, just talking about him, I do think he needs Mac Jones to play. And we talked about this on the last episode uh, for quarterbacks. I personally believe Cam Newton is the guy for 2021, barring him just being completely trash. And, you know, he, he might be. He might be. But he did show that he was kind of capable, especially early in the season. Then he got COVID. Um, he got hurt, too. So hopefully Cam Newton can stay healthy. And if he does, I do think he will be the starter for the entire season. Um, just that bridge quarterback for the Patriots. No concerns about reports that Ramondre Stevenson is a better pass catcher than expected, potentially taking some of that work away from James White this year? I would not worry about that too much. <laughs> White, White has been the guy there forever, yeah. I think. He nah. has that kind James, of locked up. James White has that role locked up. It's just how much are they going to use that role? Um, they brought in four pass catchers, you know, Hunter Henry, Janu, and the two wide receivers. So that's more people to feed in the passing game. Um, and will they pass a, you know, will they pass a lot? Uh, probably, maybe, I, I don't know. I, they'll probably still be bottom eight in terms of pass attempts per game in 2021. Um, I mean, I'm a Patriots fan, so I, I mean, I want them to pass more. It's better, but I don't think it'll happen. Mm. Yep, that's a fair point. We can wrap things up here with Tier 11. I'm not even going to read the names. We can put them on the screen if people want to see them. Most of these guys are just straight up irrelevant in terms, you know, really only, you know, players that I would consider draftable in 20-plus rounds. But is there anybody in this tier of, you know, complete dart throws, Jack, that you have any interest in or potentially somebody who's just straight up missing from the list, a deep sleeper? Yeah, so I'll, I have some interest in Tevin, like we talked about. Uh, I like Michael Carter, but Tevin should start the year as a role. McKinnon maybe catches some passes. Uh, Malcolm Brown, I think, is the favorite for goal line work in Miami. So those three uh, of the ones listed. And then someone that's not listed is uh, Gio Bernard. And I think he's going to be the main pass catching back in Tampa uh, for Tom Brady. His his ADP on underdog has risen like around over the last week or two. So people are definitely... Definitely reacting to the Gio Bernard smoke, but I would ha- I pro- I don't even think I'd have him in this tier. I think I'd have him a few tiers up, but I like mm-hmm. Gio Bernard a lot this year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm just too bullish on Fournette and what he's going to do as a mm-hmm. pass catcher. You know, <laughs> uh, big so, that guy. I mean, so that would leave Fournette and Rojo splitting, you know, the first and second down work if Gio Bernard is that third down pass catching back. Um, so that would probably make me target geo you know in the later rounds 15 16 i don't even know where he's going honestly um but then that would kind of make rojo and fournette fades for me if, if the smoke is actually true uh two guys that weren't on the original draft of this list that i've recently been coming around to as 19th 20th round picks are the two uh chargers backs i think justin jackson and joshua kelly both have some appeal i mean they are in a loaded offense and one of them should have a role in in addition to uh, Austin Eckler. I don't know which one it is necessarily, but I think that it's worth splitting exposure, you know, taking them with a 20th round pick, 19th round pick, and just, you know, hoping because they also have appeal if Eckler ever goes down. And, you know, one of them could theoretically be the Chargers goal line back. I think that's a good shout because Eckler didn't get too much goal line work last year. And, and especially Justin Jackson, especially if Eckler goes down, has shown he can, he can handle the load. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, 
They, I mean, they invested, what was it, a third-round pick in Joshua Kelly, too? Third or so, fourth. Yeah, yeah it was so. third or fourth-round pick. So I think those two guys will have a role in the Chargers offense besides Eckler. Obviously, it's not going to be a very valuable role, but if Eckler does go down, we saw it last year, he missed significant time. Um, They'll definitely be fantasy-relevant. But for best ball right now, eh, you know, I'm probably not drafting much of them. It's those are more those guys are just more of the DFS guys, 4K, you know, plug them in week week 12 if Eckler's out, you know, pick them up on the waiver wire in your redraft leagues. Hey, not now that the goat Kalen Balaj is gone, somebody's got to step up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I, I guess the last question I have with this tier is do you guys have a strong read on who the Chiefs back that we should be targeting outside of Clyde Edwards Hilarious? Obviously, you know, there's a bunch of guys there, Darwin Thompson, people have been waiting to happen. Daryl Williams, the actual guy who was semi-productive last year, and then they added Jarek McKinnon. Uh, I was just stunned to even find out he was still in the league. But, you know, theoretically, these guys also have some upside as well, you know, being in the Chiefs offense. And all of them are essentially free in drafts right now. <laughs> I think I think that's a kind of an important question to ask because that role as Kansas City's running back definitely has has some potential, especially if something happens to Clyde, but even maybe – in tandem with Clyde and I would I don't I think Darwin Thompson is kind of out of the picture almost I think yeah, Daryl Williams sure. had uh, an actual role last year and then they brought in McKinnon this year so those are the two guys who I think it's between McKinnon goes higher right now but I don't have too strong of a take either way on who who it's going to be uh-huh. yeah Joey any any final notes here if I if I had to pick one it would probably be uh Daryl Williams they showed an inclination to use him, you know, as that third down back because um, he's good in pass protection and he can catch passes. And he w- he was pretty solid last year. Um, he did pretty well. I think I think he scored a touchdown late in the season or in one of the playoff games where he was like 4K on DraftKings and I and I played him at like two percent. So I like Darrell Williams. I think he's the RB two in Kansas City. Yep. And if that's true, then he is a value. I, I would say, uh, Jack. Any final words about the running back position? as a whole, as it relates to 2021 best ball tournaments, any gems you can drop for the people here? Hmm. I guess, I guess all I would say is just from a, from a kind of top down view, the running back dead zone is something I kind of want to want to leave the listeners with because rounds three through six have historically been a really, really rough spot for running backs. So I would avoid guys in those range, either get your running backs early with those first two or three tiers we talked about, or wait until you're in the the Trey Sermon, Javante range to to start uh, picking the position. Well, Thank you so much for coming by. This is going to be it for episode 146 of the DFS Dose podcast. If you're not already, make sure you're following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion. And of course, you can find Jack at Jack Miller 2 on Twitter. Jack, tell the people where they can find your content if they don't already know. Uh, yeah, you can find me on Establish the Run and NBC Sports Edge. Uh, thank you guys for having me. This was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming by. Next up, we have Matthew Betts for the FF Ballers joining us to talk wide receiver. Should be an absolutely loaded episode. Keep an eye out for that. As always, if you're listening out there, just know we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep authentic. Fives.